Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk with Mo Hassan podcast. Tonight's guest is Rayan. Rayan has a heart of gold. She's also fiercely ambitious and doesn't take no for an answer. From a carefree childhood in Zimbabwe, she had to quickly adjust to life in Lebanon. She's traveled the world and co-founded a charity at the back of a McDonald's napkin. Global Voices of a Child. If I had to describe Rayanne in two words, I'd say she's a bridge builder, someone that's always organizing events to connect people of different backgrounds together. I met her at an African party in southern Lebanon in a city called Sur. Over 50 people of all ages, mainly working for the UN, attended this party. And it was all thanks to Rayanne's planning. I have a feeling you're going to learn a lot from this episode. We cover a lot of ground. We discuss everything from what it's like to travel solo as a female, her philosophies on happiness, strategies for overcoming anxiety and depression, the establishment of her charity Global Voices of a Child, and so much more. So please listen in and share if you enjoy this episode. What was uh, growing up in Zimbabwe like? It was actually really nice. It was actually very peaceful, very humble. Very simple life where actually happiness was based on simplicity. It was very much into family values. People do not really care like what other people thought about them, what they wore, what they were doing. It was not like the Lebanese society. People just like living in their living in their own lives, you know, minding their own business. Yeah. So just like, you know, living in a whole different world. Tell me tell me about your childhood in Zimbabwe. So my childhood in Zimbabwe has many beautiful memories. As you can see, my friend Noura of 25 years is here also next to me. So she's one of my Zimbabwe childhood memories. Hi Noura, say hi to everyone. Hi everyone. (laughs) Um, So I think my childhood was very peaceful, was very simple. Like life was basically what the generation of today will never experience. Like, you know, growing up in the mud, in nature, running around actually truly having a real childhood which I actually feel this generation and the coming generations unfortunately will not experience and it was a very humble society a humble culture people were nice friendly nobody really cared about what you looked like or who you were if you were rich or poor or if you like the perfect car so there was a huge difference between leaving Zimbabwe going to Gambia coming to Lebanon because as we know the Lebanese society is very much different than uh, the society you grew up living in Africa, which is more like humble, more like, you know, peace of mind. And simplicity was basically the, the beauty of it. Mm. And like, you know, stress-free. Mm. So I think that's how I remember my childhood. So what, like, what's the transition like from growing up in the mud, stress-free childhood, going to school in Zimbabwe, and then coming to Lebanon? Like, what age did you come and what was that like? Was it a culture shock? Was it different? Mm. Did you struggle to make friends? How did you deal with all of that? Um, these are very good questions. We actually left Zimbabwe, went to Gambia before coming to Lebanon. And then from Gambia, we came to Lebanon. I was like around um, 15. Um, I actually did have a culture shock because I didn't really know much about Lebanon nor the Arabic language. I used to come maybe once every three years once every two years so just for like summer and for like a month so coming right during high school when everyone like 
people like grew up in Lebanon had a very different personality than I had. I came as someone who was very innocent, very pure. So I felt like people who grew up in Lebanon had a stronger personality. They were like street smart, they were stronger. They were like, you know, in school here, like people had no respect. They just like, you know, spoke their mind. They were so blunt. We was like, what in Zimbabwe? Like we couldn't disrespect anyone or we had like soap in our mouths. So we were like very, we were very British educated. So for me, it was like really, really shocking <laughs> to see this transition. Like, oh, I like in Zimbabwe, we couldn't even say the F word. And you were like, oh, I'm saying all these, I don't know, swear words. So yeah, it was actually very different. And my parents, my family were very protective because during like, growing up in Zimbabwe and Gambia, it was, there were small cities, everyone knew each other. And it was actually safer than a big city where people were like very outgoing there was like so much to do lots of places to go out to which in like in Zimbabwe and we didn't have that, that, those many options mm. so they were very protected be careful of your friends who you go out with where you go so we were I, I felt like I was kind of like in a way I was very limited because I grew up as someone who couldn't take no for an answer I did whatever I wanted so coming at the age of like 15, 16 when you had someone trying to say no, like limiting your options, the way you like live life was kind of also like a traditional culture shock as well because the culture was not, I didn't really grow up in like the Lebanese culture. So I was being introduced right now to how the Arab culture is, like to politics, how people are affected by sectarianism, by politics, by all these things which I was very ignorant about. So I was living basically ignorance was a bliss for me when I was living in Africa. So coming to Lebanon, I think it actually made me who I am today. It made my personality stronger. I became more and more aware of many things I think I would have not actually been more aware of if I was still living in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to people? People have this strange um, vision of what Africa is like. You know, it's just kind of naked kids running around with flies on their eyes. What would you actually say to those people as someone that lived in Zimbabwe for 15 years? You know, what, what's the message that you'd like to get out to people? Is Africa how they perceive? Is it completely different? Um, are there things that you've had to educate Lebanese people about Africa since you've been here? Um, so tell us a bit about that. Actually, um, coming to Lebanon, I also faced a lot of challenges when people would mock me, like, oh, we lived in Africa, and they would ask all these very ignorant questions, like, Where's the, like, did you have any civilization? Like, you grew up with elephants, like, with giraffes, lions, like, were there any cars in Zimbabwe? Um. Like, very, like, you know, very silly questions. We was like, what? Like, where are these people living? So people were really ignorant and they really never understood, like they would never believe me when I said that no, like Zimbabwe was actually very beautiful, you know, people had cars, the houses, swimming pools, tennis courts, like life was very beautiful. So when they see pictures, they get like really surprised, like, oh, this is Africa? Like for them, Africa then was war, poverty, animals. So yeah, I had to educate a lot of people. I used to have lots of fights, arguments, trying to educate people against this racism and this ignorance that they had against the African people and the African continent for a while. Even till today, I still have to always explain to people that Africa is not like what you think, what you think it is or how you see it on the TV. Like recently when I started this new job, this guy asked me like where you grew up because of my accent. I'm like, oh, I grew up like in Africa. He was like, oh, I feel bad for you. I was like, excuse me? 
you feel bad for me? Like, I don't get why. I was like, yeah, because, like, ew, like, you're a girl and you live in Africa. Like, what, what was your life like? Mm. Like, I feel so sorry. Like, you had no life. I was like, you are so ignorant. I can't even argue with you. I don't have the energy to start the argument that will last maybe two weeks arguing with you because of the statement. Mm. And he was, like, living in this bubble, like, his whole life, saying, thinking that America is the dream. So he wants to go to America and that... Africa was just like you know this deserted area so I had to explain to the guy like no you're wrong I disagree so I had to explain and tell him so you mentioned being an ambassador for Africa and I thought this would be a good time to ask about your charity Global Voices of a Child what is it about and how and why did you start it so basically, the Global Voices of a Child, I started this last year in November 2018 um, by coincidence while sitting at McDonald's with a friend of mine who was from Serbia. Um, so we were like, she came to visit me in Lebanon, I met her in India, and we both worked for like the UN. So we both like, you know, have our own perceptions and opinion on the UN system and NGOs in general. Um, so we were just sitting there like, you know, why don't we actually do like, some, like a real impact because like the UN is from behind the scenes. They're not on the ground. And we just like, you know, we can create a platform online and you know, try to raise money and try to actually connect with our networks and like people we know and try to actually make a long-term sustainable impact or like sponsoring a child or like trying to raise money for long-term sustainable projects. Just like an idea that actually came into place within less than a month. And we created this platform and from November till now, we have around 15 different African local community-based organizations from 15 different African countries under one platform. And they all focus on like the same goal. They're, on the, they're trying to help vulnerable children. So... Under this platform, our goal is to have long-term sustainable projects. So we have um, received a grant from a Canadian donor organization, $5,000, to help build a permaculture garden in Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya, which is actually going to help the whole uh, community-based area, uh, actually training refugees to actually know how to do agriculture, like, you know, um, and... We also raised money to build a well in Togo that helped around 350 people for three different villages because they never had access to clean drinking water. So it was the first time after creating the well, they now have access to clean drinking water. And then I, I hooked them up with an international organization and now they're doing a survey assessment over more than 300 families also to give them clean water filters. So it's just basically being the third party and trying to empower these local community-based organizations by helping them with proposals, getting donors, getting partners, getting people to help them, and at the same time trying to help them raise money for long-term projects such as building a library, building a school, connecting a Japanese donations team with five different African countries by sending monthly donations of clothes, bags, school utensils. These kind of like minor things and it's still ongoing till today. It's been tough to raise money, actually. That's, that's been our hardest challenge, was to actually raise money. And sometimes it was really sad when 
we talk with organizations where they have a project but we're not able to help them raise that kind of money mm. so that's been one of our challenges we're still trying to work on mm. something that strikes me is you're you're someone that you're you're a self-starter that's one thing i like about you and uh when we first met in the van on the on this party to sur i was thinking how does someone organize 50 strangers complete 50 strangers many of them older than you and get them to agree to meet at a party similarly i'm thinking how does someone start a charity that has had so much success and you kind of pass it off as minor why did you feel the need to start global voices of a child what is it about that sort of work that makes you feel alive so for me i don't like working in a system i'm someone that if i'm not there on the field seeing the actual long term impact then i don't see the difference and i've seen individuals actually make a difference more than a big organization why why did you go out of your way to start a charity to help other people it might seem obvious to you but i'm trying to really understand your thinking like most people would start fashion brand or or mm-hmm. something that benefits them but you've gone out of your way to raise money for vulnerable people in hard to reach countries what is it about that sort of work what is it about child protection and the humanitarian sector that that draws your attention and energy so when asked this question the first thing people tell me like you probably um are into this humanitarian field or into charity work for self satisfaction mm. which i kind of disagree because many people assume that if you're going to volunteer if you're going to help because it gives you self satisfaction for me i disagree it was never really self satisfaction because when i realized that people used to think that when i used to like cuz i volunteered in many countries like in brazil india nepal costa rica zimbabwe tanzania people used to always think that i was the one that was going to teach them but i was the one that was being taught so i was not teaching them life i feel like they were teaching me the meaning of life which many people don't realize. Mm. So through these experiences because I really worked in favelas and slums and refugee camps. So through what I've seen and experienced, I became really like emotional to this kind of issue that made me want to keep working and actually help them and to empower them so they never need to use anyone. Don't make them feel like they need you. Don't make them feel like you're the one that is being like this white savior when actually it's not they're the one saving you mm. if you look at it from that way and i feel like life is too short we're not taking anything nothing material nor uh, fashion clothes we're not taking that the only thing you leave behind is the actual impact you leave on a community on a person or people that's the only thing you leave behind so i think leaving an impact is the most powerful thing a person can do during the short lived life of ours i think that's beautiful especially the bit about it not being about self satisfaction but the fact that these people in a vulnerable position have something to teach you uh and on that note i kind of just want to ask what are what are some of the lessons that you've learned given that these are people that are teaching you what are some of the things that you will take away and think about in the future i actually learned a lot Um I think when you look at me and people always assume like they they actually get really shocked when they meet me when they get to actually know me and ask me questions 
when they realize my life, my background, they go like, but you're so humble. Like nobody could ever tell that you come from this kind of family or you've done this, you've done that, you've done this and that. Because I don't really talk about it. If you don't ask me, if we don't have discussion, you would never know. Mm. So I think when you actually work with these kind of people, you realize that being humble is what makes you a rich person. Being humble is what makes people respect you. Being humble is what actually inspires other people. So being humble, having respect, helping people, being genuinely real, listening to people who are vulnerable, people who come from lower class, because we live in a world where people who are rich come from high class, are more respected, and people run after them like sheep because of their money, because of their connections, because of what they wear. They care about the brands, whatever, like, you know. So... But we actually realize people who have nothing are actually more happy than people who have everything. Right. Because they've accepted what they have, but they have inner peace. Like, they have, a, they have this faith which people that have everything, that never had any hardship, will never realize until they actually face hardship. That's why you realize the most happiest people on earth are people who have most, a simple house, a loving family, no, they help each other out. They're happier than a man who's like rich with a beautiful young wife or like about to get divorced. Mm. Like, you, like you always see these cases of opposites, mm. right? Right. It's not always the case, but in majority, a majority of the time, you see these kind of cases. Or you see like, why is it always the person who has been hurt who's the kindest? Or the person who's depressed is the one who's most, uh, most of the time that's smiling, laughing, dancing. So you always see that people who have faced something hard in their life, mm-hmm. who've been depressed, who've been hurt, who like saw hunger, poverty, they're the ones who actually understand life, and they're the ones who actually become better people and teach you to become a better person because of what they went through. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was a spoiled brat. I, I admit it, I was a very spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. So seeing that made me realize that, oh, like... I'm actually ashamed. Like, I actually envied them, like, how they found inner peace. Like, I actually saw a quote once in a favela in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro. Mm. The rich want peace to stay rich, but we, the poor, want peace to be happy. We just want to live in peace. Mm. And that quote, like, lived with me till today, so you can see the difference. Like, all these politicians, these rich people, they always they keep being greedy. They feel like when you always have this money, you always want more and more and more become greedy, greedy, greedy. It actually destroys your personality like half of the rich people we see are not that happy mm. so and you see people looking down at people who are lower class you see people treating them like shit so for me no I'd rather have a conversation with a homeless man than somebody who owns like what five different companies mm. so I give more because I feel like those people who face hardship who come from these kind of backgrounds have a lot to teach you a lot of stories which people really underestimate because people see them as invisible Mm. So they taught me to see them as so they taught me all this about life, the meaning of life that really life is very short. Like right. Life is very simple. Stay right. humble, be good, do good, and I think that's what really matters. I think And it's a simple th- oh. Yeah, go for it. And it's the simple things in life that actually make you happy, not money or being rich. Right. Having which is quiet. Just really the simple things. Yeah. And as you grow older, as you keep experiencing this, you realize that yeah. People, we do need inner peace. Like, it's really the simple things. And that's why rich people, or people who've never had any problems, people who just, like, you know, have been spoiled their whole lives, right. will never understand until they get hit in the face. 
Do you think you found inner peace? I think I'm still on my journey of inner peace, trying to find it. <laughs> um, you're someone that has obviously traveled a great deal and you've gone to countries and you've been in places that people would consider dangerous, the favelas being an example. Um, what's something that travel has taught you and how do you mentally prepare for going to a place that's considered dangerous but you still don't know much about so traveling has taught me not to be ignorant not to prejudge always to do your research always to question to be street smart to be cautious so it, it taught me not to judge like what the media what people say what you see it's always to actually go see it if you don't have not seen it for yourself or if you're not experienced it for yourself then I don't think anyone has the right to judge mm. you've never lived in Lebanon you have no right to judge my country saying oh I live in a war zone like mm. come on so many people come here they're like this is really Lebanon I'm like yeah so when you actually came and they saw they experienced it they're like this is a beautiful country they go back and they're so amazed like it's not an actual war zone so that's why you need to travel to get you know widen your knowledge widen your mind to be open to you know question the media to question like everything you see online and to really just actually get out of your comfort zone be brave because if i don't believe there's any country that's not safe every single country is not safe like i think i felt way more unsafe in paris than in tanzania mm. and people do people think europe is safe i don't feel safe in berlin i felt more safe in india than berlin so I think people should stop thinking that developed Western countries are safer than developing third world countries. Mm. I think safety measures are everywhere and you just have to be street smart to be careful and be cautious and to really give yourself a chance not to judge and to go out there and to learn, experience the culture and see for your own eyes and for yourself. And traveling actually makes you courageous, makes you stronger, makes you more really loving more open-minded person mm. and makes you actually addicted to traveling more to wanting to know more to explore to actually it makes you want to learn more and more and more about the world mm. and life okay i think people listening to this will be thinking wow she's this well-traveled girl i i just want to know Let's let's imagine there's a, a, another mini Rayan in a parallel universe that didn't grow up in Zimbabwe wrestling in the mud or have the same rich experiences as you have had. What would your advice be to this mini Rayan? She wants to go somewhere that everyone's telling her is dangerous. She's lived a very sheltered, overprotected life. Mm. What are the steps that she needs to go through mentally to prepare her to go to, let's say, Brazil like what would your advice be for a first time maybe solo traveler a woman going to uh, going to an area that's probably considered dangerous or has the perception of being dangerous like Brazil let's say this girl was a Lebanese girl it's interesting overprotective family so I know many Lebanese girls that can't go to such places or can't travel alone because their families are like strict overprotective mm -hmm. whatever and they say like no like people think staying at home in your comfort zone is safer than traveling whereas actually i've missed a bomb with my friend here nura five minutes by five minutes like we could have died what i don't know if you bomb? remember that you nura like four years ago there was a bomb in tray fed that took off we passed by it five minutes it exploded this is in lebanon yes 
So we missed a bomb by five minutes. You don't have bombs in Brazil. So I think I, I, I felt my life was basically in danger as many times in, in my home country, in my comfort zone, that it was in danger in Brazil. So for me, anywhere you go is not safe. But as I said, you need to, if you don't take risks, you'll never know. Life is all about risks. So if you really do not take risks, you'll never know. And maybe you can even die in a car crash at home. You can like, because mm. you can die by shooting at home. Mm. So I don't think staying at home is going to make you in a more safer place to be more protected. Mm. Like I went to Brazil for two months. I came back. I was completely fine. But always have an open eye. Be cautious. Be careful. As a woman, probably don't go out alone at night, know where you're going, your whereabouts. Like, obviously, I'll tell you, take, you know, safety measures, security measures. Mm. And, you know, try to make friends where you're staying, if you're staying at a hostel or hotel. Like, you know, get, a, like, just these basic stuff, which you should actually do while you're in your comfort zone at home as well. Mm. And if something bad was to happen, it would happen anywhere. Mm. So it's not a matter of country. It's just a matter of timing. So, yeah, I'm just trying to make this super practical for the mini Rayans that maybe grow up in Switzerland where there are no bombs going off or a, a safe place. Um, so what you're saying really is to kind of change your mindset around risk and acknowledge the fact that there's risk in everything. You might get in a car crash exactly. on the way to the airport and then take the precautions, take the steps, budgeting, planning, all that good stuff. Okay, cool. Um, on the surface, you've obviously achieved a lot you've done a lot you're an outgoing very strong confident person and that holds true but i'm just curious have there been moments in your life where you weren't a strong confident have you ever dealt with anxiety or stress or depression what? and if so how Maybe. have you come th- come on the other side of those things well mo my life's not perfect nobody's life is perfect People like to people like to see what they hear and what they see on social media. So sorry to bust your bubble. I'm someone that suffers from anxiety for like years now. I suffer from anxiety, paranoia. Sometimes I get mild depression moments for like weeks. So yeah, everyone's got their own mental issues going on. That's why I'm also known as a mental health advocate. Especially because even when I travel, I've cried in almost every country I've been to. Mm. I've had like emotional, mental breakdowns in the middle of the streets. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so it has, it has been a roller coaster ride. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. Mm. So it has been an emotional ride, especially what you see, what you experience, everything. Well, traveling also makes you emotional, makes you angry, makes you cry. Mm. So I think it's not always perfect. So mm. it's a roller coaster ride. Thank, thanks for sharing that because I think one thing I'm trying to get uh, get across, especially in this Instagram generation, everyone's comparing their their worst moments with their friend's highlight reel. So I might be having a terrible day and I see you having a selfie next to some palm trees and a tropical island or wakeboarding in Costa Rica. And I think that makes this generation increasingly lonely. And it's why, um, especially for men, the biggest killer of men in the UK under 45 is suicide. So finally, we're having a chat about mental health. I'm just curious, what have you done practically to deal with some of the things that you spoke about, to deal with anxiety, to deal with uh, depression? Has it just been 
letting it, you know, run its course? Or have you meditated or made friends or did you journal? Are there any practical things you've done to get through it? So first things first, people should, uh, I think most people know actually that social media is fake. Right. Nobody wants to post about their bad day. Everyone wants to post about their greatest moment of their life, every single happy day. Right. Nobody really wants to ever come out and say, hey, I'm having a bad day. Because if we do, we're being dramatic or we're seeking attention. Right. So that's why people always say, like, no, why should I put a bad day? And even show people I'm living the best life, having this perfect husband, beautiful kids, you know, rich, luxurious life, traveling the world. That's what people want other people to see. But nobody knows what happens behind the scene. And this is something that everyone is struggling with through so and it's the problem of social media. This is why I hate social media. And this is why recently I've become more vocal about mental health. And sometimes when I post a picture, I put a caption telling people that my life is not what you see on social media. Because so many people come to me and they would say things like, You're so lucky living your best life, like you're living the life. So they come and they envy me, but they don't, they don't really know who is Ryan behind those pictures or behind what they see. Because that's what I want you to see. That's what I show you, but that's not who I am. Mm. And unfortunately, people nowadays don't really try to get to know a person for who they really are. Mm. And colors. I see she is, that's how she is. She just travels. That's how she is. Mm. But they never actually sit down and actually have a conversation. Who are you truly? Like, what's your story? Like, are you really this person people say, like, show people, people say you are? So there's no longer real conversations. All small talk, just envy, jealousy, comparing each other's, like, rather than being real. So I came out and I started being more real on my social media and saying, this is not my life. Mm. Social media is social media. Like, People need to get to know people and have a real conversation. Mm. For me, I try to post pictures to inspire people, to educate them, for them mm. to learn, mm. not to show off, not to tell people, oh, I'm here, I'm traveling. Right. So many people misjudge me saying that I am like, I bluff, or right. like I'm trying to show up. Like, no. Like, if you actually see my Instagram page, I try to educate people about these places through the way I take the photo, through my writing, through what I show you. Right. So I had no intention of showing that I'm trying to show off or my life is perfect or not. So that's why you need to get to know a person behind these pictures. Mm. And yeah. Wow. And through anxiety, paranoia, sometimes depression, I'm a writer and I'm a poet. So usually I express myself through writing. That's the way I feel better. Through right. writing. Uh, especially like writing about poems, about global issues, mental health issues, and all these different issues people can relate to. Or I just, you know, go for a walk in nature or go to some adventure, road trip, adventurous road trip, or like I meditate or just, you know, be alone, have my peace of mind, read, watch a movie, like these kind of things to help. Or I just talk to someone mm. or I just, you know, try to find other people who I, that can relate to me. So I feel like I'm not alone. So no one's ever alone. Everyone's got some mental health issue going on. So mm. we're never alone. So, yeah. I think that's super important. Um, and I'm glad that you shared that especially really successful people they have this we have this perception um, that super successful people don't go through hard times uh, recently Michael Phelps spoke about with every gold medal that he had he thought about taking his own life um, you're someone that's always surrounded by people I, I realize this you're always like meeting friends whether it's Leah or Noura or Eddie what does what does friendship mean to you? So I think the word friendship 
um, nowadays was taken for granted. So people think anyone you meet is a friend. I think no. I'm very selective of my friends. For you to be my friend, I have to know who you really are. You have to know who I really, who I really am. You have to really know my flaws and accept me for who I am. So once we accept each other's flaws, went through stuff together, actually get along, and you know when they don't backstab you, they're there when you need them, when you're going through something, advice, like Eddie's been my mentor in life in so many ways. Mm. He's guided me in so many ways. Noor has been like my big sister throughout 25 years. Whenever I need her, she's there. Leia has taught me a lot in life as well. Whenever like there's an issue or a problem, I go for Leia for advice, I listen to her. So I think a friend is someone who can actually teach you something. You can learn from them. So for me, a friend is someone I can learn from. They guide me, they teach me. They actually love and respect you for who you are, and they're there when you need them. Mm. So that's what a true friend is, and these friends are very rare. One of the questions I like to ask is called the three truths. So you're on your last day, mm. you're surrounded by all of your family, mm. and you've achieved everything you've wanted to achieve with your philanthropy, with your charitable work, your personal life, your professional life. Unfortunately, for some reason, everything you've written, everything you've said, is all erased. And you can only leave your great-great-grandkids three truths, three things that you know, you know to be true about this life. What would they be and why? One, be good, be kind, help people. Always be kind. You never know who's going through what. Who, like, just smiling at someone can really make a difference. Just saying hello can make a difference. And, I've, and I say it because of experience. Like, I said hello to people who would change their whole world. Like, they're like, you're the first person who said hello to us ever since this office or since I came to this country. So that's something big. And I don't want you to remember, like, yeah, this girl said hi to me and nobody else said hi to me when I came to this job or when I came to this country. So always be kind because everyone's fighting a battle nobody knows about. Because as we said, social media doesn't show you what people go through. People don't like to talk about their problems because they feel like, no, it's, we're competing. Who has the better life? Or we're all competing. Like, we should, we should be happy before people think we're insane. Because they think people, if they're sad or they're going through a problem, then they're just being dramatic. Oh, they're crazy. He needs help. Like, look negatively upon. Um, so that's why I always be kind, be good, and try to help as much people as you can for the sake of it, not because of yourself, because that's the only thing you can leave behind in this world that's very materialistic. Second thing, I believe, travel as much as you can, and you don't have to be rich to travel. People hey. always say you need to be rich to travel. You don't. When I travel, most of the people I see are actually people who've actually saved money for years or been through a lot and are not rich at all. And they've traveled more than a man who is a millionaire. Mm. So you don't have to be rich to travel. There's always a solution. There's always ways. Now, like 2019, there are many programs, options that help people who really need to travel on a budget or who can't travel. Mm. So it's not a matter of money. It's a matter of like how much you want it how much like how much do you need it and your way to find your way through it like i save money to travel and i think it's is possible even if you save like you know for a regile instead of spending an regile ten dollars a day like if you save money instead of spending like going out to eat yeah. going for a regile you can save that money to try, buy a ticket right so it's always possible and 
always believe in yourself that if you want something, you can get it. It's all like a state of mind. It's what you put your mind to it, it can happen. Third thing, I believe, always follow your passion. Don't follow what society, what your family wants you to follow. Always follow your passion. Because if you end up in a job you hate, you're never going to be happy. But you can be happy if you're an artist, but it's your passion. So I think that's much better. So like to fail at being an artist, which is your passion, than to fail at, at a job that you hate. Mm. So always follow your passion, even if it doesn't make you rich. Like really, being rich is not the main thing in life. Mm. It's not gonna bring you happiness. One thing I was discussing with a few friends is writing a 10-year letter to yourself. What you want your life to look like in 10 years with no limitations on what's realistic. And also not limiting yourself to career. I'm, cu- I'm curious, in the next five to ten years, what would you want your life ideally to look like? What would, you, what, would you want, what would you want? If you could have it, what would you want? <clears throat> this is disregarding rea- reality, right? No, disregarding, disregarding reality. reality. Huh. What do you want deep down? What do you want, want Rayan's life to look like in the next ten years? I'm not really sure because we keep changing every month, every year. We always want something different. I'm kidding. So from five... Say that again. So from five... I'm just kidding around. Um, I think in five years to ten years from now, I think I would generally want inner happiness and inner peace and to really have a simple, happy life. Obviously, I would like to have a family, have children, and actually pass on my life experience to these kids and actually start preparing my kids to live the life I had to see the little rebel as little me, to see me in my hands. <laughs> and to actually actually expand the global voices of a child to become an international organization and to actually focus on that and to actually make a much bigger difference in the world through this uh, platform, which can become an organization. And to you know, still keep traveling the world as much as I can and being surrounded with my family and my loved ones and genuine real friends. It's a simple, happy life. Is there anyone in your life so far that has really touched you, that has really moved you, that has made you think differently about things? Who are some of the mentors or teachers or just strangers that have deeply affected you? Well, I think many people have deeply affected me throughout my life um, in many different ways. I think people that come from like a very tough background, they actually teach me about life and to appreciate life more. They actually really inspire me. And one of them is called my, my friend Cheo. I don't know if you're hearing this, Cheo, but you've been one of my inspirations, and I always tell him that. Um, Nura, one of my inspirations as well, for being a very strong girl, despite what she's been through as well. <laughs> um, Eddie, being one of my mentors, he's taught me a lot about life. Whenever we go out, he teaches me something. He always tells me, I'll, I'll teach you this, hear this story. Like He's always teaching me life lessons. Eddie always tells me, one day you're going to understand. So for Eddie is always like trying to like teach me lessons that you're going to understand these one day. And in life, you can always have what you want. My dad teaches me a lot about having, uh, focusing on faith in life, which I actually, at some point in my life, I was actually away from faith. But now my dad actually shows me the importance of having faith. And my mother, especially, has been one of my biggest inspirations in my life. Because 
she's actually seeing herself through me because she couldn't have that kind of life. So she's trying to give me the life she wanted. So I'm like my little mom. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So these are just a few people. Obviously, there are many other people. Uh, my friend Kyle as well, what he's been through. I actually inspired him to write a book about his life. And if you read his book, it's really, really inspiring and how he's actually a very smart guy till today and a very strong guy. He hasn't published it yet. We're still trying to convince him to publish it. Um, it was called The Black Mao. Wow. And yeah, it's actually a very emotional book about his childhood. But yeah, and my friend Ting, who helped me a lot in Costa Rica, and my friend Arshina, my friend Akshay, Naina, Daye, Mazin, my, one of my close friends in Costa Rica. So I think they're just people you just meet along the way that really inspired you. And obviously there are people I haven't mentioned, but they know who they are. And obviously I can't mention everyone right now, but there are many. And obviously my cousins as well and my family. And lastly, the most person who also inspired me is you, Mo. Oh, I appreciate that. How have I inspired you? By doing all this podcast, everybody has a story. I appreciate that. Thank you. See, we're actually learning from each other. <laughs> okay, um, a few more questions before we get evacuated from this place. Um, you're someone that has a lot of knowledge. You're like, we were talking the other day, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've written a paper on that. I've written a study on that. I've I've done this or I've done that. Um, can you tell us about your time where you did the masters at the University of Peace? Amazing in Costa Rica. And maybe just some of the things you've written about. And how, like, what's your thought process? How do you write about such complex things? So there's a reason why I chose the University for Peace in Costa Rica. It's very unique. I, I wanted to avoid all the mainstream places such as the UK, New York, Canada. So I wanted to go somewhere that was really different. So I found out about this university is based up in a mountain, middle of nowhere. Nobody's ever heard of it. And it's like the little UN, it's so diverse, like 120 students all doing masters that are very specialized in the humanitarian field and human rights, and more than 35 different nationalities. So the amazing thing about it was you are not traveling, but you are traveling through the people you meet. So you are all in one place, but every single day you are traveling somewhere, experiencing a different culture, all in one place. So for me, that was one of the greatest blessings I had in Costa Rica, especially living in a country that was very beautiful, all greenery, ecotourism, very clean. And people were also very humble. Like, all they live by Pura Vida means pure life. So, no, just live life, simple life, be happy, Pura Vida. So I actually envy these people. Like, how, why can't we all be like Pura Vida like them too? And in Costa Rica, they teach you to speak your mind, to question, to be more practical. It's not like, don't just follow what the book says. So it was very more practical, feel hand-on experience, field experience. And anyone could voice their opinion. Anyone could have a topic and speak about it. People come listen to them, which I think many universities don't give you that advantage. So, yeah, I think... I felt I was the voice of the Arab world for the Arab world because there were not that many Arab students. And I felt I was especially the voice for all the Arab women and Lebanese women. And one Italian woman actually told me, I'm so happy you came here. You're being the voice for the Lebanese woman in a place like this. Tell, tell us a bit more about these papers that you've been writing. When we were with French Mo, you're telling us about all these intricate papers that you've been writing your dissertation, your thesis, how, like, how do you go about researching and writing those things? So during this like, background of political science, international affairs, human rights, international law, you have to write a lot. 
since it's all like academia, like especially in this field. So when I have to choose a topic, I choose a topic that has uh, affected me or I have interest in. So and my passion is human rights. So one of my favorite topics was the human rights violations in Myanmar, Tanzania, um, Nigeria, Sudan, like these countries, because I used to read a lot, see what's happening on like the TV and watch documentaries. So it was my passion. So because I was interested, I wanted to do a paper about it to see what exactly are the human rights violations going on there. And I wanted the professor and students in my class to know about it. So it was also me trying to spread awareness at the same time learning. So it was through this. And my thesis um, for my bachelor's degree was the effects of multiculturalism on immigrants in France. To see, because people keep saying that, oh, there's so many terrorists in France and in Europe. And for me, I wanted to know what was the cause of that. I wanted to prove to people that it was not because they were Muslims. It was because there is the system that is in France and in Europe that is discriminating and ostracizing them to make them hate the system, to call them the other. So that's why they create the system that they don't realize that the system is creating these so-called terrorists. So that's why these topics encouraged me to write about them, to learn, to actually present it. Is the world inherently evil or good? The world is a mix of both, evil and good. That's the, and one time I had a friend who also inspired me. His name is Ali Farhat. So he used to teach me a lot about life. Like life is two, two contrasting emotions, sadness and happiness. And that's the beauty of it. Like I used to always tell him, like, Ali, how do you see the beauty in life? Like it's so sad. He's like, no. Like even if my parents, like, you know, if somebody is dying, but next day somebody is giving birth. Like that's the beauty of life. Like you say goodbye, you say hello. Two contrasting emotions. You can't always have it one way. Because if you don't experience sadness, how can you experience happiness? If you don't see the bad, how can you realize what's good? So evil and good are both necessary for each other to realize, to understand what's evil, what's good. So it's a mix of both. It's a balance of both. But as someone who's negative, I try to see the evil more than the good. But I try to believe that there's more good than evil. I think maybe you're just a realist. You're not negative. Um, we spoke a lot about humanitarian issues. What do you think is the solution? And not, it's not just about aid and throwing money. How do you think we can overcome our differences as a planet as a nation, as a society, as neighbors, what, what are we missing? How do we increase empathy for one another? I don't think we can fix it. I wish we could. If the whole world can love each other, live in harmony, believe in humanity, but we don't. I think the world is becoming more divided year after year. It's becoming worse and worse. So for me, I don't really see a hope in the humanitarian field. I see it repeating history, repeating itself, racism coming in different ways, not slavery, but in other ways. So I see history repeating itself and coming into our times in different ways. So that's why for me, this is something that cannot, that is inevitable. So that's why you as a person can do what you have to do as a person to help to make a difference, to try to educate others, to make a change, to be a voice. 
But as the whole world as a whole, I don't think it's possible. But you do believe there's hope. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And so you're saying it has to come from the individual. Fix your home first, basically. I don't believe there's hope. I want to believe there's hope, but I don't see it. Let's be realistic. So that's why I see it more like an individual. The small difference is still a difference. In a bigger scale, it's going to take a lot more than that. So fix your home first. Fix those whatever's around you, because if like all like Syrian crisis, for example, all these crises in Sudan and Somalia, mm. they could be fixed. Nothing is not nothing has like nothing does not have a solution. Mm. But it's a whole system of lobbying, a whole system of elites of people who don't want to see peace, people who actually want to make money out of the evilness, out of destroying a country. And evil is something the human is born with, the human, per, you know, human nature has, that you cannot change, and it will forever be there. Mm. That's that truth. I'm still pushing back on this, because I think you invest so much time into things that many people would argue don't have much of an effect you still put your time and energy into starting Global Voices of a Child. You still put your time and energy in working as a child protection officer. So I'm curious, what do you say to people who say, you know, Ryan, this charity of yours, it's cool, it's nice, but it's a waste of time. It's not going to make a difference. How do you push back against those voices? I've already heard those like, from people closest to me many times, so it's not something new. But I say... Any difference is a difference. If I'm making a small difference, I'm making something. I can't change the world. I can't change a country. But if you help one person, like one child, that's still, that's still good enough. Like, you're still making a difference. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you can help one person, do it. Because you can't help the whole nation. So that's why do what you can and leave the rest to fate. One of the final questions there's going to be someone listening to this who wants to do exactly what you've done. They want to start a charity. Their friends don't believe in them. Their family doesn't believe in them. They probably don't have the same field experience or contacts as you. Where do they start? How do they start? They start by believing in themselves. That's the, very most, that's the most important thing, is to believe in yourself. Once you believe in yourself, you have it in, on your mind as a mindset, you will achieve it. Slowly, slowly, as you see, when it's in your back of your mind, you'll find your way achieving that goal. Just believe in yourself. Don't care what people think of you. Do what you love. And there's always a solution for anything. You did. We have the online. Social media is powerful. The online world is very powerful. I started a platform on online, helped more than 10 countries all online I was not physically there so nothing is nothing is impossible still gonna push you Rayan. specifics practically what did you do what did you do was it about creating an Instagram channel was it starting with your why break it down for us spell it out for us basically online since we live in the technology world now, so Instagram page, Facebook page, a website, starting with your friends, your family, trying to convince them. You know, starting with the small scare in your area, 
and then once you've succeeded in that, you can go outside that. Like maybe go to your neighborhood, talk to people in your neighborhood, raise money for like a homeless man in your neighborhood. You can start by doing those little things that are on a small scale before going somewhere big. Like start small, go big. Right. But you always have to start somewhere. Right. Even if it means starting next door. Right. Final question, since this interview has highlighted all of your successes. I'm curious, how do you deal with failure or things that didn't turn out the way you wanted to? Um, an example being you had a clothing brand or you wanted to start an African clothing brand, but it didn't, it didn't work out as planned. Just talk us through that. So the exotic decor line didn't work out. I was a bit bummed out, but I'm a strong believer that everything happens for a reason. Mm. So if one thing failed, it will lead, to, some, it will lead to, some, to another success. So failures are actually leading you to where you're meant to be. So that's why I actually, I used to get really upset, get depressed, ang- like anxious, you know, start complaining, nagging. Like, I'm not that of a positive person, but throughout life I realized and throughout people I meet that have inspired me that no, you actually have to embrace failures and they teach you and make you who you are today and they lead you to the path where you're meant to go. So sometimes you get rejected or you fail through something that will lead you to something much better and you only realize the reason later, you know, oh, that failed because of this or because of that. So everything happens for a reason and really just trust what life has to offer you and embrace whatever comes your way because everything will teach you and lead you to where you're meant to be. And finally, what impact do you want to have in the world? And what is something that you want people listening to this to do, read, or watch? Do you have a call to action for people? So (laughs) the impact I want to leave on this world um, is that at least I tried. Like, at least I tried to do a difference. At least I put my voice out there. At least... I made my presence there that to people who believe that nobody cared about them, nobody was listening to them, to make them believe that, no, there are people like me, like others, who are willing to listen to them, who really do care. Because many people think that nobody cares about us because, oh, we're from the streets. But for me, the impact is to make them believe otherwise, that, no, some people will always care. Like, there is somebody who will care, who will come and listen to you, that you are visible to someone, not always invisible. And I think people should um, call for action, join protests, become an activist. You don't have to be in the humanitarian field to be a humanitarian. Everyone should be born a humanitarian. Everyone should be a humanitarian. You shouldn't be saying, I'm a humanitarian because of what the field I work in. Everyone should be a humanitarian without anyone asking you to, without studying it, without working in it. And on that note, Ryan, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. If you're listening to this, all the links to everything we've discussed, including her page, Global Voice of a Child, will be in the description. And thank you for listening to this. Have a good day.